Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Well, first of all, I got subpoenaed by Congress to find out who my sources were, and NPR had to spend a substantial amount of money defending me, mm. and it was an extremely unpleasant uh, after-effect, let's put it that way, with lots of uh, senators being pretty mad at me. Nina Totenberg and her voice have been mainstays in NPR's news coverage for more than 40 years, particularly her reporting on the Supreme Court. She's covered the nation's highest court at its most critical points and even broken stories that change how we see its operations, its deliberations, the people behind the black robes. Nina, welcome back to St. Louis on the Air. Thanks for having me. Now let's jump right in here. Over the past few months, the Supreme Court has been in the news quite a bit, and that's primarily because of controversy surrounding ethics. And Justice Clarence Thomas is very much the focus of scrutiny. Multiple reports have shown his connections to billionaire Harlan Crow, uh, payments made, luxury trips, conventions attended together. Nina, what do you make of what's been happening here? Well, I think it's obvious that this is not good for the court. Uh, uh, You can see that its approval numbers keep going down. And these ethics questions are something that people understand quite easily because they all face them. They understand the notion of potential conflicts of interest. I stress potential. I I was giving a talk on Cape Cod this summer, and a guy stood up in the audience and said, you know, I am on the local advisory board of my town, and it's an unpaid position, but I have to fill out a lengthy ethics form. And he said, why don't they have to do this too? Mm. And so I, I think that's where the the rubber meets the road. That said, it's pretty clear to me anyway that at least uh, a substantial number of the justices don't think that they should have to do anything more than they're already doing. And if they could agree on an ethics code, they would have put one out. But I think they don't agree that they should have an ethics code, that they shouldn't be pushed around by Congress or public opinion polls. And there are some good reasons why the rules for the Supreme Court are different. Uh, There are only nine of them, and they can't substitute in another judge from from their court because there aren't any. That said, I I, I think the the court clearly is at, at, uh, I'm not sure you'd say loggerheads, but that the justices themselves don't agree. Mm -hmm. So what is it that they currently have, uh, what they have to do right now in terms of ethics or disclosures? Well, they have voluntarily agreed for a long, long time to follow the same disclosure rules as lower court judges. Uh, Now, those rules, until relatively recently, were clear to a lot of people, but there was some wiggle room in them if you wanted to see it. So that's what 
people like Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito have said is that they had understood for a long time that they didn't have to disclose any sort of uh, hospitality extended by personal friends. So that, for Clarence Thomas, is Harlan Crow, mm -hmm. who uh, fl has flown him on his private jet to a number of places over the years that we know of, and presumably there are some others that we don't know of, and extended lavish uh, vacations for him all over the world and at Harlan Crow's estate. They tightened the restrictions at the Judicial Conference uh, this past year. So now it's pretty clear you have to you have to disclose anything um, that or almost anything that, that is personal hospitality. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we'll ever find out what happened in years gone by. Right. So, you know, you'd mentioned that the court uh, is at loggerheads, so to speak. And there is a, a push for the Supreme Court to adopt a code of ethics. Just this past Friday, Justice Elena Kagan called for that in a speech at Notre Dame Law School. I mean, do you think it is likely that the Supreme Court adopts a code of ethics at some point? Well, Justice Kagan has said this before, and she said she thinks she didn't call for it. She said she thought it would be a good idea. And um, clearly, uh, she and I think the other two liberals on the court and probably the chief justice and maybe even Justice Kavanaugh think that's a good idea. Mm. But if you don't get at least a majority or a substantial majority, you don't have a working ethics code. And mm -hmm. I think it's pretty clear that not everybody agrees. Sure. Do you think that this is an issue that will fade from public consciousness without any further action by the court, either you know because public trust is restored or we just start paying attention to other things? I suspect it won't fade entirely. Uh, the court thinks it will, but it won't. And it's just going to be a constant thorn in their sides until they do something mm -hmm. about it. Now, Nina, in 1991, you broke the story about Anita Hill's allegations against then-nominee Clarence Thomas. And you've talked before about how that reporting was good for your career, but it was just awful at the time. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> well, first of all, I got subpoenaed by Congress to find out who my sources were, and NPR had to spend a substantial amount of money defending me. Mm. And it was an extremely unpleasant uh, after effect, let's put it that way, with lots of senators being pretty mad at me. Mm. Um, all of that eventually faded into oblivion, but at the time it was extremely unpleasant. Right. Well, and of course, Clarence Thomas was put on the court. And despite that, you know, your reporting and Anita Hill's story was empowering for women across the country. How do you view that legacy? Well, the, the number of sexual harassment claims that were filed at the EEOC after the Thomas Hill hearings um, skyrocketed. And I think a lot of women, perhaps most women, this had happened to in my generation anyway, and we always thought we were the only ones. And um, I think that was true for lots and lots of women. And then when the Hill story came out, when my story came out, and the, they had these hearings, it became clear to everybody in America that 
whether or not Clarence Thomas had done what uh, Anita Hill accused him of, this was hardly unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I think in that sense, it was a watershed moment. So it really brought it from isolation to illumination and, and a Exactly. Scale. From isolation to il- illumination is a, is a very good way of, of putting it. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about the new Supreme Court term that will get underway on Monday, October the 2nd. What are the big cases you'll be watching, Nina? Well, there are a whole lot of cases that we expect the court to grant that are that are already before the court pending, but they haven't yet taken the formal step of accepting them for review. We're expecting some of these. So you thought abortion was, we were done with abortion. Not so. Mm-hmm. Um, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a decision that uh, dramatically restricted access to the abortion pill, which is the, the method of abortion used by more than half of the women who get abortions in the country. And Danko Labs, which bakes mifepristone, which is the drug, mm-hmm. and, and the Biden administration appealed to the Supreme Court. And so that case is very important, not only because it involves abortion, but it, because it involves uh, the power of the FDA the FDA approved mifepristone in 2000 and then approved it for greater access, easier access by by telemedicine and mail mm-hmm. uh, in 2021. And all of that is before the Supreme Court. And how is it that the FDA is involved? Well, the FDA is involved because it's their regulation. The FDA... It, you know, approves all the pharmaceuticals that are on the market. Mm-hmm. And this is and based on scientific and clinical trials and all that kind of thing and information that it gathers. And if, in this case, the FDA's regulatory powers are superseded by the Supreme Court's decision, mm-hmm. well, that could be true of any pharmaceutical. Sure. And and the pharmaceutical industry says that this would be an enormous blow to reliable um, medications on the market. It would be an enormous blow to investment and um, scientific progress for new medications. Mm-hmm. Nina, I mean, in general, what has it been like seeing and reporting on abortion access as it's moved through the courts? Well, you know, the Supreme Court, when it issued the Dobbs decision, uh, Justice Kavanaugh, for example, wrote separately that this uh, that this was simply returning the question to the states, and it didn't involve. He actually said this: it didn't involve travel to another state, for example. Um, but there are many. I think the court thought it was going to be relatively simple, but of course, it's not relatively simple because there are. The states are passing all these regulations that make it um, illegal to, for example, go to another state to get an abortion Mm -hmm. or to help somebody go to another state to get an abortion or uh, to have access to mifepristone pills uh, to go get a pill, for example, pick up a pill someplace. Mm-hmm. So it, it there are a multitude of these sorts of questions, and the court 
which I think thought this was relatively simple, is now faced with lots of issues that are going to come before it involving abortion Mm -hmm. and how far states can go in making it difficult to obtain one. Right. And that is certainly something that we feel here in Missouri, um, being just across the, the river from Illinois. We're talking today with Nina Totenberg, who has spent decades covering the U.S. Supreme Court as NPR's legal affairs correspondent. Nina will be in St. Louis on October 13th at the Justice Speaks event hosted by the Legal Services of Eastern Missouri. Now, is there anything else that you'll be watching for in the term that begins next week? We've got a gun case uh, which tests uh, whether you you may remember in 2022, I think the court uh, issued a very broad ruling on saying that guns are possession of guns are a fundamental right upholding uh, laws that allow carrying. Uh, it says a fundamental right to carry a gun outside of your home. So now the question is, and, and it said that at the time that in order for a gun regulation to be constitutional, it needed to be analogous to uh, a law that existed at the founding of this country, or at the very least at the, at the time of after the Civil War, uh, when the 14th Amendment was passed. So now the question is uh, whether um, the federal law in this case, whether the federal law that um, bans gun possession for anybody who is the subject of a domestic violence restraining order, whether that's constitutional. And, uh, you know, there weren't analogous uh, laws at the time of the founding because mm-hmm. they <laughs> women didn't have the right to vote. They didn't have the right to much. And... Um, they, they, those in, uh, analogous laws don't re- didn't really exist. So mm. it's going to be interesting to see how the court works its way through this. Um, there are a ton of regulatory challenges to the power of the federal government to regulate in a variety of of ways. There are social media cases galore. Yes, uh, including one that tests whether a public official can block a person from his or her social personal social media account and when and under what circumstances. And you remember that Donald Trump tried to do that. You've been working at NPR, you know, covering the Supreme Court for a really long time now. I mean, what is it that continues to excite you about this job? Well, the issues are always different or a new wrinkle and things that you thought were settled are not settled. And right now we have a court that's the most conservative in probably 90 years. It's systematically going, um, undertaking the process of undoing a great deal of what the court has done for the last half century or more. And that's a great story. It's Mm -hmm. a really interesting story. And one that people are very happy to follow you on. Uh, you know, as far as your background goes, I mean, did you begin covering legal affairs as a reporter because you studied law in school at some point? I mean, how did that inform you know how you've gone about reporting about the U.S. Supreme Court for people who've not gone to law school? Well, I didn't go to law school either, mm-hmm. so I got assigned to it when I worked for 
the late great National Observer, and I just understood that I had to read everything and learn everything I could, and that the advantage, the disadvantage is you don't know a lot when you start out, mm-hmm. and you, I always approach these cases, and sometimes my eyes glaze over, but the <laughs> advantage is that you have to figure out how to explain it to people who aren't lawyers, mm-hmm. uh, and that is what I think I'm pretty good at. Yes. And it, has there been anything you know, in recent years, Nina, that's been particularly challenging to report on? Well, you know, I think these regulatory cases are hugely important to everyday Americans in their lives because they're about whether the under what circumstances and how the federal government could regulate the quality of our air, water, climate problems, uh, consumer products, uh, financial instruments, but they're very complicated and they don't and they're not they don't sound sexy. Mm-hmm. So my job is to make them accessible at the at the least yeah. so that people will understand why they're important. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you how do you do that? Make them accessible? Is there a little trick that you have that you've acquired over the years? No. <laughs> 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 no, I mean you hope for you hope for interesting facts, but that's not always the case. Right, right. Well, Nina, you recently published a memoir called Dinners with Ruth, a memoir on the power of friendships, and it's about your friendship with the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. How did that friendship begin? Oh, it began decades and decades before she was even a lower court judge. And when I was a young reporter covering the court, and I called her up because she filed what ended up being her first brief in the Supreme Court about sex discrimination, and I asked her for an explanation because I didn't understand it, and I got an hour-long lecture. (laughs) And then later we met in person at some sort of boring conference, and it was so boring that we went, we left. We went shopping. Okay. You know, we mentioned earlier that you'll be in town on October 13th for Legal Services of Eastern Missouri's Justice Speaks event. And part of what you'll be talking about then is your book, Dinners with Ruth. Now, we're getting into Halloween season and given your book's focus on the power of friendships. My last question is about dynamic duos. So, Nina, for people who want to dress up this year as you and Justice Ginsburg... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what would the Nina Totenberg compliment to an RBG caller be? Oh, my word. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming with the hard-hitting questions here, Nina. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know. Um, if you're dressing up as me, mm-hmm. you should have a, you should be holding a microphone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nina Totenberg is NPR's legal affairs correspondent. She'll be in St. Louis for the Justice Speaks event on October 13th. More information about that is at lsem.org. Nina, thank you so much for making time to talk with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski and our executive producer, Alex Hoyer. And edited by Alex Hoyer. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. 
Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.